Good morning. How y'all doing? Hey, uh, I want to do something real quick. If you helped yesterday with Halloween hoopla, you gave out candy, you did uh, tattoos, you did, and by the way, we were doing legit tattoos on kids. It was, no, I'm just kidding. They were, they were the uh, press on kind. Um, or helped with pumpkin painting or helped with blow up rising, that stuff. I want you to stand up just for a minute, all right? Just stand up right where you are. Yes, give these folks a round of applause. Very good. That was a um, good job. Thank you all so much. That was, uh, that was a crazy. I mean, it was just crazy, the people that were there. I mean, if, if you were there and you expected that many people to be there, then you've got more faith than me, I guess, because, I mean, people just kept showing up. And I was like, man, I didn't even know this many people lived in Greer. So uh, that was a great, great day. And I just want to tell you, again, thank you for the time you put in. Uh, I know that, you know, Saturdays, uh, are few and far between. Well, actually, there's probably like 52 of them a year, but, but uh, you know, with the Saturdays where you have something to do, but the weather was beautiful, and there was a lot of other things you could have been doing yesterday, and uh, for you to give up uh, that and, and, and sacrifice your time to do that was great. And just a reminder, I know you know this, but just to remind you, uh, I thought about it when we were singing that last song. That last song is why we do Halloween Hoopla. We don't do Halloween Hoopla just because we want kids to have a bunch of candy, you know, if we were dentists, that's why we would do Halloween hoopla so that we could get business from it later. And we don't do it uh, just so we can do something nice. It, the, all those things are bonuses. The kids got candy. That's great. The, 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 the city, you know, we did something, partnered with the city. That's a bonus. But the reason we do it is because there is nobody greater than the God that we serve and that we believe and we know that Scripture teaches that there is one way and one way only that people can be saved from their sin. And we've all sinned. And there's only one way to be saved from that. And that's through Jesus Christ. And that's why we do Halloween Hoopla. And so, so if you're thinking, man, why are y'all spending money on that kind of stuff? It's so that we can give a positive effect on the community so that we can have an opportunity to share the gospel. And so I hope what you will then do with what happened yesterday... What I hope you will do is you will leverage what happened yesterday with your friends and you will say, if you invited your friends yesterday, say, hey, the reason we do that is because this church cares about people. Why don't you come with me on a Sunday morning? The same people that were there passing out candy, they'll be there passing out donuts and, and pins on Sunday morning and, and they're going to be just as nice to you then as they were yesterday. Why don't you show up with me? So what I don't want to do is I don't want yesterday just to be a one-time event. Oh, that was great. We had a bunch of people show up. But I want us to really leverage that with, with your friends that need Jesus, your friends that need a church, and use that as an opportunity to ask them to be here with you on Sunday mornings where, they, where they're going to hear the message. Um, we're, we're continuing uh, our, our Christian Atheist series. This week and next week is it, and then, and then we're going to be done uh, and move on to some other things in November. But today, um, um, we're going to be talking about uh, a subject that maybe, since you're here, you're going to think, ah, it doesn't really apply to me, because it seems like it applies to people who aren't here today, and I'll, you'll understand why I'm saying that in a minute. But, um, but I was at a wedding a few weeks ago, and um, I heard the pastor say something really cool, which I'm going to steal now and use the next time I do a wedding. Uh, because that's what us pastors do is we steal from other pastors. And we're all cool with that. We all understand that. But uh, he said, uh, before the, the people took their vows, as he said, you need to understand that speaking words is the easiest thing you can do. But the hardest thing you can do is live those words out day after day. And as you've been here these last few weeks, I hope there's been something 
in the Christian Atheist series that's gotten your attention. I hope there's been a week where, where we talked about maybe uh, I believe in, in God, but I trust more in money like we did last week, or I believe in God, but I still worry, or, or I believe in God, but I don't share my faith. There might have been one of those weeks where you heard that, and, 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 it, and it got to you. But what I don't want to happen is I don't want you just to walk out of here saying, yeah, that was good stuff, man, I agree. That's true, I agree with all those things, and that be it. Because we can all just agree with those words. That's an easy thing to do. Now, the harder thing to do is to say, yeah, um, I agree with those words, and I'm going to restructure my finances and live by a budget. Or I agree with those words, I'm going to actually go to work, and I'm going to open up my mouth and tell my friends about what Jesus has done for me. Or I agree with those words, and I'm going to try to stop worrying by every time a a worried thought comes into my mind, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to capture that thought, and I'm going to pray over it instead of worrying about it. Those things are harder to do than just agreeing with the words. So I hope one of these weeks has struck a chord with you, and it struck such a chord that it's going to then, you're going to want to change some behavior. You're going to maybe rearrange some things to try. I'm going to try to live by what I've heard these last few weeks. So uh, to, to start today, I, I was trying to think of the best way to introduce this, and I came up with this crazy analogy, and, uh, and just, just hang with me here through this, but, but what if I were to stand up here today, and what if I were to say to you that I believe in malls, all right, I believe in the concept of a mall, like Haywood Mall or Westgate Mall, I believe that's a good thing, but then I don't believe in stores, all right, now I know you're thinking, what, where are you going with this? But just hang with me just a minute. If I were to say to you, I really think that Haywood Mall is a great thing, but I don't like stores now. I don't like stores in the mall, but I just like the mall. You would think that I was wacko, wouldn't you? Why? The reason why is because you can't really separate the mall from the stores, can you? The reason the mall makes money is because of the stores in the mall. Now, what if I even told you, but wait a minute, I've got some good, I've got some perfectly legitimate reasons for why I'm pro-mall but anti-store. And I said to you, because listen, there's some really sketchy stores in the mall. Like Hot Topic, you ever seen Hot Topic? Man, they wear stuff I wouldn't wear on Halloween in there, right? And so, you know, and then those kiosks, man. I mean, those kiosks, you feel like, you know, you're walking through the market in some foreign country where they're trying to just peddle stuff at you and it's all cheaply made and all this kind of stuff. I went to a mall in Atlanta recently. They had a kiosk that was only selling martial arts movies. I mean, do you know how sketchy of a mall that is? And so... So maybe I was to tell you, listen, that's the reason why. That's a perfectly legitimate reason because these stores, there's some bad stores, so that's why I like the mall, but I don't like stores. You would think I was crazy, right? Well, today we're talking about something that I think is kind of crazy. And, and uh, we're talking about I believe in God, but not his church. I believe in Jesus, but not his church. And, and the reason I wanted to bring up, and you're thinking, what does that have to do with malls and stores? For some of you, and, and maybe, maybe you've been there before, maybe you're there now and you're just here for a reason, or maybe you know someone that's not here today and this is their line of thinking. They would say to you, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe that what Jesus said in the Bible is true. I believe in Jesus, but I don't, like, I don't go to church anymore. Or I don't believe in church. And, and you would think, well, how can you even really separate the two? But they would say, but listen, I've got some good reasons why. Because I went to this church and, 
and the people there were selfish and, and, and the people there were, were hypocritical and, and I didn't like what the pastor said and, and, and this, that, and the other. And they've got all these reasons that are really pretty legitimate sounding reasons. Church people are selfish and they're, they're mean and they gossip and they do all these things. And so that's why I don't like church, but I like Jesus. I'm pro-Jesus, but I'm anti-church. And chances are you know some people like that. And chances are maybe even in your heart sometimes you feel that way. And we're going to continue talking. And what I want you to do, because those of you that are here, I know it would be easy for you to say, Cliff, man, you're preaching to the choir. We are here, man. We believe in church. We're here today. Go out and preach that on the corner somewhere. But I think sometimes even for us that are here, even for you, that, that you're, you believe enough to be here on a Sunday morning, you believe enough to serve on a beautiful Saturday in downtown Greer when you could have been doing something else. Even for us, sometimes our attitude, our motivation, sometimes we can have some resentment in our heart towards the church. And that can be just as dangerous as just blatantly saying, I'm not going anymore, I'm not going to have anything to do with that church. So, so what I want to do, I want us just to talk a little bit today. And, uh, I, and I'll just be honest with you. When, um, when I was getting this message together, I struggled a good bit with it. And the reason why was because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to be up here and just be like I was an angry preacher, hollering about people not coming to church, you know. Um, because in reality, sometimes it does get me a little fired up. And those of you that know me know that I normally am never fired up. I'm just really even keel all the time. And um, that's not true. And, uh, and so, but sometimes I, you know, because I'll hear, I guess because I've been in church work a long time, I've heard just about every excuse, legitimate and crazy, for why people don't come to church. Um, I even heard a woman one time who said that she couldn't come to church because some medication she was on, um, she was on blood thinner, and that if she got cut, that she might bleed to death, and that's why she didn't come to church. And I thought, what church are you going to where there's like flying glass all over the place? But, but I mean, I've heard every reason imaginable for why people don't go to church. And so when I first started putting this message together, I was praying and I was thinking and I thought, well, maybe what I should do is I should just come up with a, a list of reasons why church is great and church is, is good. And then I thought, no, I don't want to do that because I don't want you to walk out of here with a pros and cons list and say, okay, church is good because of this, but it's bad because of this, and then try to weigh it out. And if the pros win, then you'll be back here next week. Instead, let, I wanted to do what we always should do, and I want to go to Scripture. And I want to go to the Bible and I, there's three points that Scripture, there's more than three, but there's three basic points that the New Testament teaches about church. Why it's important, why, why it, it, it's vital, and it's vital into the life of a follower of Christ. And I want to teach you and, and talk about these three points from Scripture with you. And so I want you to look at, first of all, look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And uh, if you've got your Bible, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen in just a minute. But the first thing that I want to talk to you about that, that Scripture teaches about the church is this. Jesus founded the church. Jesus founded the church. Look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. If you've been here at Freedom uh, a while, you've heard this Scripture before. But it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is how Jesus was referring to himself in this passage. So he's kind of saying to them, hey, what's the word on the street? Y'all, you guys are out there. What are you hearing? What are people saying about me? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, at this point, all those guys were dead, okay? So it's interesting that people were saying, hey, you're John the Baptist, come back to life, or you're you're, uh, Elijah, come back to life, or Jeremiah, or even one of the other prophets, one of the minor prophets like uh, Habakkuk, you know, maybe you're him, come back to life. But they, they were, that's who they were, people thought, that, that he was something special. He must be someone who's been resurrected from the dead. And he says this in verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So in verse 16 and 17, Jesus is wanting to know who he is, and Peter gets the answer right. He says, you're, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. The Christ was a Jewish term that meant you're the one we've been waiting on. Because all their lives, Peter was a good Jewish kid. He had heard all his life about one day God's going to come to earth and, and, and he's going to be the Son of God here on earth and, and he's going to be here and he's going he's to deliver us and take us away from all this bad stuff. And so Peter understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And so he got it right. He said, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Son of of God. You're the one we've been waiting on. And so Jesus responds to him by saying, you're exactly right, Peter. I am who you are saying that I am. And then how does Jesus respond to that? Jesus responds by saying, because you've said this and and because, because you understand the truth of who I am, one day I'm going to be leaving here and so I'm going to establish my church. I'm going to start my church. Now understand this. Jesus knew that his time on earth was short. Jesus understood that he was, he was here for a limited period of time and that he was going to be crucified. He knew that because he would tell his disciples that. He would say, I'm going to be, the son of man must be killed and I'm going to be raised again on the third day. He understood all that and he knew he was going to go back to heaven. So he knew his time was running short. Now he could have done any number of things to ensure that his work would continue after he left. But what did he choose to do? Out of all the things he could have done, he said, I'm going to start a church. I'm going to begin the church. And so the first thing that we have to understand about why we cannot say, I believe in Jesus but not his church, the reason we can't say that is because Jesus founded the church. I mean, we really could just kind of stop the message right here and me not even go on any further. That should be enough for us to understand. If the Bible says Jesus founded the church, then it's, it's impossible for us to say, I want to separate Jesus from the church because it is his organization it's what he founded he began it and 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 the thing is that message uh that that he wants us to share it's the message that changes the world and 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 so he's founded the church so that we can do that now think about this there's a lot of great organizations on this earth none of them will last forever 
except the church because none of them were founded by Jesus. There's great schools that, that teach the Bible even. There, there's hospitals that help people. All those are good things. They will be temporary. They will not last forever. Every community organization, the PTA, the United Way, Relay for Life, uh, um, the American Cancer Society, all these different things, they all do great things. But they will all one day be gone. The only organization that will be here at the end of time is the church of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because he founded it and he has ensured that it will not only survive, but it will thrive. And so for us to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe his church, that doesn't even really make sense. Because Jesus founded the church and the church will always be here. The second thing that we can learn from scripture uh, about, about the, the, the church is this. The plan of Jesus is for the church to share his message. The plan of Jesus is for the church to share his message. So we have a job to do. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. If you've got your Bibles just in your Matthew, just flip over to the right. You go through Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, you'll get over there to where Ephesians is. If you don't have your Bibles, look on the screen. Now this is the Apostle Paul who wrote this. And uh, listen to what he wrote. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. We're going to talk in a minute about why Paul said that, about why he says he's less than the least of all God's people. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. What Paul is saying there is this, that, that in the old times, in the Old Testament, the way that grace was going to come to earth, it was a mystery to people because Jesus had not yet been revealed. And so there were, even though there were things in the Old Testament that would point to Jesus, the law points to Jesus. In creation, it points to Jesus. The prophets, they pointed to Jesus, but Jesus had yet to be revealed yet. And so Paul is saying there, listen, that this, this used to be a mystery. What I'm telling you was a mystery to those in the past. And he says, for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now look at what it says now. His intent, this is God's intent, was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The message that Jesus Christ came to earth, that he died, that that is the only way that people can be forgiven for sins. That is the only message that changes people's eternities. That's it. Every other message that's being, that's being put out there, none of those change people's eternities. In a couple of weeks, you're going to go to the voting booth and you're going to vote for governors and congressmen and all that stuff. And every one of those people are trying to tell you they're going to give you a better life. They're all trying to tell you, if you vote for me, man, it's just a, a, a truck's going to back up to your house tomorrow and we're going to deliver money to you. It's going to be so awesome. That's the kind of stuff they're telling you. But I'm telling you, there is no message. I don't care what any politician says. I don't care what any self-help guru says. I don't care what you read in any kind of book. The only message that can change your eternity is the message of Jesus as found in the Bible. That is the only one. And that message, that most important message that's ever been shared, Jesus said, what I want to do is I want to give my church the responsibility of sharing that message. That's what Paul says there. He says that it was God's intent in verse 10. He says it was his intent 
that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That it was God's idea for the church to share the message. Now think about this. God is all-powerful, right? Don't we believe that? He can do whatever he wants. So God can share the message however he wants to. He doesn't even need Facebook or Twitter. He can get the message out without social media at all, right? Because he's God. If God had wanted to, he could have said, I've got a great idea to get the message out about what Jesus did on the cross. I will tattoo John 3.16 on everybody's right eyelid on the back of it and John 3.17 on the back of everybody's left eyelid. So every night when they close their eyes, they read the gospel. And so they're trying to go to sleep, and instead they see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, and for it was uh, not God's plan that the world should perish, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. And so they could read that every night right on the back of their eyelids. God could have done that, couldn't he have? Do Do you believe that God could have tattooed the back of your eyelids with something? I mean, I do. I think if God could, could, could help Noah find two of every animal and put them on a boat, and, and, or if God can speak the world into existence, or if God could part the Red Sea, surely he could tattoo the backs of our eyelids with John 3.16 and John 3.17, right? But what did God choose to do? Instead of doing that, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to establish this church, and it's going to be full of selfish people. I'm going to establish this church. It's going to be full of people who sin and who are greedy and who gossip. And I'm going to put them in charge of sharing my message. That's my intent, is that the church will share the message of Jesus. And here's the other thing we need to know. There's no backup plan. We're it. We're God's plan for sharing the message. There's no backup plan. God's not up in heaven right now talking to Gabriel and saying, you know what, if this whole church thing doesn't work out, we're doing the tattooed eyelids thing, right? He's not saying that because this is the plan, right, for us to share the message of Jesus. And so again, for us to say, for anyone to say, I believe in Jesus but not his church or, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian but I just just never want to have anything to do with church again. For us to say that, it's almost like we're telling God, hey, bad plan. That's a dumb plan you got, God. Yeah, I know. I know you created everything out of nothing. I know that the Bible says you know everything, but when it comes to this, you're wrong. That's a bad plan. That's what we're saying if we say we believe in Jesus but not his church. And then one other thing that the the Bible teaches, and this is everywhere throughout the New Testament, but I just chose two verses to share with you, but it's, it's throughout the New Testament. The last thing is this. The church is the body of Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus. Look at Colossians 1.18 and Ephesians 5.23. Just look up here on the screen for these. Colossians 1.18 says this. And he, talking about Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then Ephesians 5.23 says this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Jesus' body is the church, and he is the head of that body. It's clear throughout the New Testament. And one of the things that I think is funny when I hear people say, I believe in Jesus but not the church, what they don't realize is if they really are a follower of Christ, they're a part of the church anyway, whether they like it or not. Even if they stay home on Sunday mornings, they're a part of the church. 
Because Scripture teaches that all followers of Jesus are part of his body. And, and when you get time on your own, read 1 Corinthians 14. Read that chapter when you get time. I'm not going to go into all of that today. That could be a whole other series of messages that we might do later. But read 1 Corinthians 14 on your own. And that whole chapter talks about the fact that we are all parts of the body of Christ. And it talks about how important it is for all of us to function like we're supposed to. For all of us to do what we're supposed to do. And, and, that's, and that strengthens the body of Christ. And so we're all part of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head of that body. Mike's going to show you a picture of a famous Jesus statue. It's, uh, this is the most famous Jesus statue in the world. This, does anybody know where this is? In Rio, yeah, in Brazil. Uh, I've never seen it uh, in person. I would love to one day. But I've seen pictures of it, and it stands up on the top of this mountain and kind of looks over the, the whole city there in Rio de Janeiro in, in Brazil. And, and it's, it's a famous statue. Now, I want you to imagine if you showed up here today and we had a replica of that statue out front, 12 feet tall, arms outstretched, and our setup team, they had put it out there today. And you, as you walked in, you know, you had to walk under the arms of Jesus as you came into church, right? And, and I stood up here today and I said, man, don't y'all love the statue of Jesus? Somebody donated that to us and we're just going to have it here every week. And so every week you get used to seeing the statue of Jesus. Then one week we come up here and it's standing right here in the middle. And Chris is singing under the arms of Jesus as he leads, as he leads worship, right? And the band's all around the statue of Jesus while they're leading worship. And so, so we get done with worship, and, and, they, and they play a little intro video, and out I come, and I'm bringing with me a ladder. And I prop the ladder up next to the statue of Jesus. And then I pull out a chainsaw, and I climb up the top of that ladder, and I fire up that chainsaw, and I just cut the head of Jesus off. What would you think? I'll tell you what you'd think. You'd say, I'm never coming back to that church again. That is blasphemy. You'd be ticked off. I'd have people that would be coming up trying to knock me off of the ladder before I could get finished cutting the head of Jesus off, right? Because you don't cut the head of the Jesus statue off, right? It's just not right. Well, what does it say about us if we say, I believe in Jesus but not his church. I'm trying to separate Jesus from the church. We're separating the head from the body in real life, not on a statue, that's much worse, that's much more blasphemous than ever anybody cutting off any head of a statue. Because Jesus isn't in that statue, but Jesus is the head of the real church, which is his real body. And if we try to separate those two, it's like taking a chainsaw and trying to cut the head of Jesus off from his body. And we would all be just mortally offended if that took place. It's impossible for us to separate Jesus from his church. Let me say that again. Because I want you to, I, if you get an opportunity to share that with somebody, if you get an opportunity to think about that in your own heart, understand it is impossible to separate Jesus from his church. Are church people selfish? Absolutely. Do they gossip? Yes, I've been gossiped about by church people. Do, are church people uh, uh, um, do they, are they hateful and mean to each other? Absolutely they are. But you know what? People outside of the church are too. People at Walmart are too. And I don't know anybody not going to Walmart because of that. 
I don't know anybody saying, I will no longer go to a football game because people there don't act like they, they love each other. You get out there and you yell at everybody and boo the other team and yell at the refs, right? You got no problem with that. But when we come to church, all of a sudden we get this idea that everybody's supposed to be perfect. If everybody's supposed to be perfect at church, then you're not allowed in because you're not perfect and neither am I. Yes, the church is messed up. And I'm so thankful it is. You know why I'm thankful it is? Because that way I can be a part of it. I can be a part of a church that's messed up because I'm messed up. I'm selfish. I'm all those things that we accuse the church of being. Jesus founded the church. It's his plan for his church to share his message. And the church is his body. So what does that mean for us? I told you earlier that I was going to come back to and, and share with you why the Apostle Paul said he was the least of all. Look what it says when he said this. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. He didn't say it's because I slept with a bunch of people before I got married. He doesn't say it's because I murdered a guy once. He doesn't say it's because I stole stuff from people. He doesn't say it's because I gave people the finger when I was speeding. He doesn't say any of those things. What he says is the reason I'm the least of all the apostles is because I persecuted the church of God. That is the ultimate sin that he had committed. Now, I know none of you have had people thrown in prison for going to church like Paul did. But chances are... We've all persecuted the church of God with our mouths, with things we've said. We've persecuted the church of God with our attitudes that are in our hearts. And I've got to tell you, when I was preparing this message, God convicted me of things that I've done in the past, of things I've said in the past about churches, churches that I was part of, churches that I heard about. And God convicted me about, because I was persecuting the church of God by my words. By me acting like I had all the answers and knowing everything about how church should be done. I was persecuting the church of God. And I stand before you today just like Paul saying to you, I'm the least of all pastors. I'm the least qualified of all pastors because I have persecuted the church of God with my attitude and with my words in the past. And I'm praying that God will never allow me to say those things again and to think those things again and that I will be completely sold out to him. And so I want to challenge you today. Where are you? Where are you when it comes to your attitude towards church? Even if you're here every week, do you resent it? Do you think, man, if I, I, I'd rather be doing something else or I, this, that, and the other, or are you, are you talking bad about other churches? Are you talking bad about this church or whatever it might be? Are you persecuting the church of God? And I used to, um, my attitude used to be, because, you know, this church is not that old, but um, one of the things I found out is that it doesn't take long for people to get offended. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a hundred-year-old church to offend people. And, um, and I used to think when people would get upset and, and they'd be mad, and I, my attitude used to be, well, y'all need to go somewhere and get happy at another church, right? But what I found, and not with everybody, but what I found with some people is, they're never going to be happy because they were unhappy at the church before they came here. 
They were unhappy here, and then they went somewhere else, and I find out they were unhappy there, and then they've moved on to somewhere else. They're just unhappy wherever they go. And, and if, if, that's, if that's the case, the situation isn't that, uh, that you had a problem with a pastor or you had a problem with a worship style or you had a problem with a church policy. The situation was that you had a problem with the church in general, which means then you have a problem with the head of the church, which is Jesus. And it's time for all of us, me included, to accept the truth of Scripture and understand that, yes, the church is imperfect, but it's the body of Christ. And we need to work all that we can to lift up the church, to build up the church, to push the church out into the community, to build his kingdom, and quit worrying so much about ourselves and what offends us or what we're not comfortable with. Let's pray. Father God, this is a hard message. I know it's a hard message to hear. Lord, it was a hard message to, to communicate. But Lord, I pray that you will, you will burn it into our hearts, the truth that Scripture teaches that we can't separate you from your church. And that we shouldn't even want to, really, Lord. But we're humans, and, and we mess up, and, and we do selfish things, and, and, uh, and we, we begin to think that, that the whole world revolves around us. So, Father, I pray today that you would convict my heart and you would convict the heart of everybody here. And, Lord, you'd convict the heart of people who aren't here today, who, who listen to this on a podcast or who get the message from someone else who's here about how vital your church is to your plan. And, Lord, that it would be our joy to serve through the church, that it would be our supreme honor to be a part of your church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.